And good morning to you. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and it's good to be with you this morning. Today is a special day. There's a great event happening today. Can anybody tell me what the great event is? Super Bowl. I hear that. Okay, let's go to the videotape. There's an interview that took place. Remember Mark Driscoll? He's preached here a couple of years ago. He's a pastor up in the Seattle area, Mars Hill, fairly well known across the country. He interviewed some athletes who happened to play for a team called the Seattle Seahawks. And so I just wanted you to hear from them for just a moment. All right, Pastor Mark here with the, uh, the members of the greatest football team on the earth, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and very, very glad to let you guys share a little bit about your background, your story, your history, what Jesus has done in your life. Quick answers. I'll give you guys uh, a couple questions and just give me quick answers. Let's start with Russell. Um, um, who's Jesus? Uh, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is everything. And the great thing about Jesus is he'll meet you right where you're at. You know, it's free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. He gives it to us because he loves us and he's full of grace. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and end of everything. And, uh, you know, in my life, you know, to understand the, where we've reached, you know, which is, quote, unquote, in the world's view, the pinnacle, um, you really see how empty that is. And... Um, having Jesus in my life, you know, you really see how important that is because you see that he is everything. I mean, to take Jesus, who is perfect, and to be so humble as to come to earth as a mere man uh, and to live the life that he lived, uh, despite knowing my sin, to go to on the cross and to die for, for my sin and our sin and, and everyone's sin, um, to me, I mean, that's everything. You know, that's, that's joy, that's peace, that's love, to think that him and his perfection uh, would do that despite knowing uh, the really the, the depths of who I am. Jesus is love. You know, at the end of the day, we're all looking for for somebody somebody to comfort us, for somebody to be there for us at all times, for somebody when we're we're in the worst times of our lives, when we're battling with something, with struggles, whatever it may be. You know, when when we're at our highest point too, as well, when things are going really well, we want somebody to comfort us and be there for us and say, "Great, you know, you know, well done." You know, and and, and that's Jesus. Jesus has always been there. He'll, he'll never never leave you, never forsake you. Literally, Jesus is the greatest treasure in the universe, and it's it's it just makes sense. It's not like you give up your life and then you get something worse. You know, it's like Jesus is for all of us. You give us the that. worst and get the best. That's <laughs> no question. You know, he gave us everything. We had nothing. He gave us everything. So literally, it, it's just one plus one equals two. It's just that simple. You know, Jesus is better than anything that we could ever hope. Even better than the Super Bowl, better than the NFL career. Is the NFL anything. coach supposed to say that? That anything is better than the Super Bowl? Don't Jesus, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't know if this Edit is... that out. You know, any, I think some of us here, all of us here would like to say, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But if we ever to win the Super Bowl... To be able to tell everyone that no, Jesus is still better, because as yeah. much as as much as we worship this thing called a ring and championship, although we like to have one for sure, I, I just can't wait to tell people. If that happens, God willing, we'll be able to tell people, yeah, Jesus is way better still, because you're gonna wake up the next day, it's, things are gonna be the same if you don't have Jesus. If you have Jesus, it's still gonna be awesome when or lose. So, all right, today's a special day, and so what makes today so special? Jesus. And do I have to like pull it out of you? Do I have to give you the words to say? To, you know, it's great to have the Super Bowl this afternoon, but I love these guys. And uh, 
it sort of makes me think who I should wager on more, the Seattle Seahawks or the Denver Broncos. But because uh, you love to see believers do well. But then I thought, well, there's probably so many non-believers on Denver Bronco team that the believers on the Seattle Seahawks, probably they're more mature and they can handle defeat better than those who... So it, it goes back and forth. It's hard to know. But what I loved about uh, these, uh, these guys there is that, uh, you know, it's a far cry from the old thing right after the game. says, I just want to thank the guy upstairs, you know, that kind of, that kind of lingoism. Uh, these fellows obviously have spent some time studying God's Word. And they don't use the word God, capital G. That can be okay. They're using the word Jesus. And so God is in the business of bringing us to the point where we know Jesus and all that Jesus has done for us. And that's what I love about that. And uh, better than even the Super Bowl. Better, I mean, Ron's, Ron's taken a group at 3 o'clock today to Peter's Canyon uh, instead of watching a football game, which almost sounds sacrilegious to me. But uh, it's even better than that. So we want you to know that uh, we're all about Jesus. And today, as we go through the book of Romans... We're in Romans chapter 5, that is the core conviction, the songs we have just heard sung, the words of those songs are so powerful because they reveal to us why Jesus came to this earth. There is nothing more important than what Jesus came to do but what is written in Romans 5. And so I invite you to have the outlines. I'm going to be coughing every so often, so I just want to give you fair warning. Uh, Last week I was sick as well. And I've discovered that the viruses are actually building a condominium in my head. And so they're planning to invite more friends to join them. So they're, but they have low HOA fees, so it's a good thing. But in Romans chapter 5, and you have the outline. It's there available for you. And uh, I encourage you to follow along. This is Romans 5 and 6 that will be on next week. This is core, basic, sort of a in a nice spiritual sort of way, really the guts of why God sent His Son Jesus into this world. Jesus did not come into this world so that we could live pretty and happy lives, wealthy lives, sick-free lives, where everything goes successfully for us all the time. Jesus came to this world to do what Romans 5 is all about. And so I'm going to invite you to take a look at the screen, and it's all about justification. Jesus came to justify us. The word justification in the, uh, in the scriptures is a term that is a legal term that literally means to be declared righteous. And so that's the title. We need to accept our declaration of righteousness. So why did he come and how did he come? What's it all about? What we're looking at is a realistic look at a righteous person's life. Let me read verses 1 through 5. This is a righteous person's life who has been declared righteous. Verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt or rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A righteous person's life, spelled out there. We're going to talk about the position 
and then the journey. Here's the position. It's threefold. doesn't take a whole lot of explanation. But the first aspect I noticed about the position that we have in Jesus Christ is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he gives us peace with God. Jesus came into this world to do one thing, to give us peace with God. He didn't come to give us peace with our spouses, peace with our neighbors, peace with our bosses. Those things should and hopefully will happen when Christ is conforming us to his character. But he didn't come that those sort of relational and temporal aspects of life are taken care of. He came to give us peace with God because, as you'll see a little bit later, we don't have peace with God outside of Jesus Christ. He wants us to have a relationship that is peaceful with God where his wrath is satisfied and our sins are forgiven. So it's peace with God, but doesn't necessarily always equate to peaceful lives because we don't always live peaceful lives. We sometimes have chaos. Secondly, Jesus came to this world, our position, <clears throat> to make us stand in the grace of God. Notice he goes on in verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand. And so therefore, Jesus says, let me introduce you to the grace of God. I want you to stand in God's grace. Grace is giving to us what we don't deserve. It's handing to us free of charge things we could never achieve on our own. And Jesus says, I want to, as he says here, I want to introduce you by your faith into God's grace. He is the great introducer person. He opens us to the grace of God in big and small ways. This is last week. Uh, I had an appointment with someone and it was off campus in another location. And candidly, I forgot all about it because I didn't put it in my phone. Sometimes I don't put things on my phone well that I should, and I don't know why I don't do that, but it's just my sin nature to do that. And then I get a text from this person about eight minutes after the allotted appointment time. And he says, are you coming? And I looked at that text and, oh, man, how could I forget? And I texted back, can you give me 15 minutes? I'll be there. I didn't want to tell him I forgot even though I did. And he says, absolutely. And so I arrived about 15 minutes late. And I just had to apologize and apologize. I'm sorry, so disrespectful. And his response was, look, I too am a man who needs a lot of grace. And so I invite you into that grace with me. And I thought, I need a God like that. And that's who our God is. Our God says, you will fail, you will forget, you will make mistakes. Things won't go properly. But I invite you into that sphere of my grace so that whether tragedy or whether triumph, whether you win the Super Bowl, whether you lose the Super Bowl, like these, these players are saying, man, whether we win or we lose, we still have Jesus. Because you live in a sphere of grace where there is a covering over of all the failings and mistakes and blunders of our lives. I want to know that when I mess up, I'm still in the grace of God. And He's caring for me. I don't want to have to wonder, am I standing in your grace anymore, Lord? Have I done so badly that I'm no longer in your grace? I don't want to have to live outside the grace of God. I just can't fathom people who live outside the grace of God and live lives that are like ours, failing and blundering at times. 
and not knowing whether I'm in the sphere of His grace. I want to know that wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm in the grace of God. If I'm riding my motorcycle down San Diego Canyon Road, I want to know that I'm in the sphere of grace of God. Because I don't know what all the other nutcases in the cars are going to be doing. I mean that with all due respect. Because there's some crazy drivers out there. But I want to know I'm living in the grace of God. And that no matter what happens to me, I'm still in His grace. That's so important. That's my position as a righteous person. That I have peace with God. I have the grace of God. And thirdly, that Jesus gives us the hope of the glory of God. Notice he goes on. He says, and we exult. That word exult, sometimes some people get mistranslated. It's not exalt. We exult. Exalt means to have joy, to be rejoicing, to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, to have that kind of joyfulness that the glory of God is mine. It's not all mine right now, but it's going to be mine in completion. I want to show you a little fast forward into Romans 8 when we get there. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So we groan. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. How many groaned when you woke up this morning and pulled out of bed? Okay. So, you, okay, see, it's, Scripture is true. You're living a biblical life. <laughs> so, so we groan within ourselves. Why? Waiting eagerly. We wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We wait for that. I, I can't wait any longer. I'm just so tired of my sinuses going crazy. I'm waiting for that. And some of you are battling cancer and other kinds of more serious, significant bodily ailments. And you and I, we all wait eagerly for that. Why? Because then the glory is ours. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, (coughs) who will transform the body of our humble state into the... Conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even subject all things to Himself. That's the glory. When He says to us, we exult, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that we are going to enter into the glory of the glory of Christ in the fullness of our redemption. You and I are not completely saved yet. We're mostly saved in the most important parts, but we're not completely saved. The redemption of the body is the completion of our salvation. And so he's done body, soul, and spirit, and that will be the completion. And we enter into that glory of who Christ is. And so that's our position. Our position is at peace with God, the grace of God, and the glory of God. We live there. We abide there. Everything that comes our way, good or bad, it has to come through that peace, grace, and glory of God. It can't touch us without God's glory, grace, and peace still ours. That's a great place to live. That's our position. Then he talks about the journey. Here is the journey that he takes us on in verses 3 through 5. And not only this, but we also rejoice, exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance proven character, proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let me talk about this, then I want to illustrate it for you. A person's righteous journey. Our journey is made up of these three things. It's a journey that certainly should have joy. We exult. 
we should have a joyfulness as we go through that journey, as I'll show you in a moment. But secondly, here is the journey that Paul outlines. He's talking about us being declared righteous. We're perfect. In God's eyes, he sees the holiness of Jesus when we accept Christ. He declares us to be righteous. We look in a mirror and we say, oh, man, I'm far from it. But he said, God says, you've got to see yourself the way I see you. I've placed you into peace, grace, and glory. Stay there. You can't leave there. That's what I see in you. Now, on that roadway, on that journey, on that pathway, you're going to go through these things. This is part of the journey. There's going to be tribulation. Tribulation brings perseverance. Perseverance, which results in proven character, which leads to hope that does not disappoint. The word tribulation there is a term that is used in Scripture a variety of places. In fact, it's used of Jesus when he's standing in a crowd, and the crowd is pushing in on him. Tribulation is also used of uh, those who would pick grapes, and they take the grapes and they squeeze the grapes to get out of the juice. It's used of citrus fruit, where you, where you take a, a, an orange and you squeeze the orange and you uh, extract from it the orange juice. Tribulation term means to be squeezed to be pushed, to, to be in a crowd. The, the values of today's culture are squeezing you and me, right? There's a lot of values that we had when I was a kid that we no longer can have and say them boldly and confidently in a crowd without them claiming bigotry. So we're being squeezed in the values that we want to maintain and hold on to. We're being squeezed in the traditions of our faith. We're being squeezed sometimes physically. There are persecuted believers around the world, not here in America so much. This is a persecution here is nothing compared to those in Iran and, uh, and other Port Sudan who are literally physically being squeezed. So tribulation is part of the journey of a righteous person. You and I know that, but here's God saying it. He says, I want to be right up front with you. It's part of the journey because tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance means to abide under something, to literally be patient until the end takes place. Because when I'm patient until the end takes place, it results in proven character. The word proven there is a term that is used of metal. If you put silver into a boiling pot and you get the impurities out of that silver. And you skim off those impurities so you have pure silver or pure gold. So Paul says, I want to squeeze you. I'm going to allow you to be squeezed so that you can persevere and be patient so that you can have proven character so I can squeeze out of you more impurities in the journey of righteousness. Now, I see you as righteous, but it's not always being lived out in the day-to-day. And so I want to squeeze out of that, which leads to a hope that does not disappoint. A hope that does not disappoint. The word disappoint means to ever, never be put to shame. Never, and put it this way, to never be put to shame that the promises of God will be fulfilled. That if I, tri- I go through tribulation and I persevere and the character of my life gets better, I have hope that everything God promised will actually take place. I will not be disappointed in this journey. Of righteousness. So God says, that's how I do it. James is very similar. Consider all joy, exult, rejoice, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God says, that's part of the journey. Now, here's the third part of it. At the very end, in verse 5. 
our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We have the love of God. And this journey of joyfulness as we travel the tribulation, perseverance, character, and hope route is affirmed and empowered by the love of God that He's never lost us along that way. And we have that demonstration. Let me illustrate this. I just read this last week. An amazing account. It happened way back in 2006, this story I want to tell you. But it wasn't recorded. I took the Sudafed. It's drying up my sinuses, but I can't can't talk. <clears throat> There's a great story. It was recorded uh, two days ago. You can get a YouTube of this. And I, was, I would have loved to show it because it's way too long. But here's a fellow whose name is Eric Fitzgerald. Here's his story. Here's his wedding day, way back in 2006. His wife was traveling down the road. She's pregnant with a little boy has a 19-month-old little girl in her car seat in the car. She's driving down one of these roads in Georgia, you know, those little two-lane roads in Dacula, Georgia. He's the uh, youth pastor of a Baptist church there, Hebron Baptist Church. So this guy's a righteous. He's living the Lord, living for the Lord, <laughs> committed to what the Lord has called him to do. As she's going down the road one way, coming her direction, is a 20-year-old firefighter. He'd been up for 24 hours straight, got about 30 minutes of sleep, he said, the night before. Rather than taking a nap before he heads home, he says, I'll just get home and, and then I'll crash and get a nap. As he's driving the opposite way on a little two-lane highway, he falls asleep at the wheel, goes over the center line, and crashes head-on with Eric's wife that you see here in this picture. It killed her. It killed her unborn little boy, as it was, but the 19-month-old little girl was still alive. The senior pastor of that church, Hebron, uh, came to Eric and knocked on the door and says, I have some terrible news for you, Eric. Your wife has been in an automobile accident and she has been killed. And that began a journey for him. It's a journey that I think illustrates exactly the kind of thing that Paul the Apostle was trying to help us to understand that in our real world in which we live, the real world of a righteous person, these things are part of the journey. It begins in tribulation. As he tells the story, he suddenly realizes that, and he says, and he says this about this situation as he looks back at it. He says, we have a tendency to look at our lives as little three-by-five snapshots, and we tend to get focused on whether our three-by-five snapshot is okay or not. And this is the key line for me. We lose sight of the fact that God is doing bigger things. His story is bigger than just ours. That he paints on a canvas the size of the universe. And remember that God is good and has a good plan for his life. Eric said, it saved my life. It saved my life to know that God has a bigger story he's unpacking. Now go back to Romans 5. Paul the Apostle says, you can have joy as you go down this journey of tribulation, perseverance, proven character, and hope. God says, I'm laying it out straight. I don't want anybody to come and follow Jesus thinking that this is going to be some sort of a problem 
free life. Eric got it. Eric knew that on the journey that God places him, yes, each day is a little three-by-five snapshot, but it's one small picture and a bigger mosaic of what God is creating. Eric says, knowing that God has a bigger view in mind, a bigger plan unfolding, that saved me. So for two years, they went down this legal journey, and they asked him, do you want to press full charges against Matthew? Matthew was the firefighter who crashed into them. And he says, no, I'm not going to press full charges against him. I want to live, I want to, I want to express to him the grace of God. Because I think God could do something as I illustrate grace and forgiveness. Well, Matthew is going through this terrible time. Two years, Matthew and Eric were not allowed to talk to each other for the legal wranglings that had to take place. And during that course of that time, Matthew said he hit rock bottom. And finally, he cried out to the Lord. This is what Matthew says. I'm putting all my faith in you. You had a reason for this and that you do have a plan. In that moment, the young man said he deeply felt the presence of God. It was like he placed his hand on my shoulder and wrapped me in a blanket of comfort. That's grace. You enter into the sphere of grace and you obtain this peace with God that even in the blunders and the mistakes and the fallacies of our lives, that God has this mysterious way of weaving it all together for a bigger picture and a bigger plan and a bigger portrait of what he wants to do. Eric believed that this would be a wonderful opportunity for God to get glory, for Christ to be lifted up, an opportunity to demonstrate God's forgiveness and God's love as he gave forgiveness to Matthew. On the day before the two years of their legally obligated separation, they happened to run into each other in the hardware store. First time they had seen each other in two years. Can you imagine looking at the man that had just killed your two years before, wife, an unborn child. As they came together, Eric was able to go to Matthew and says, I have been praying for you, Matthew. And Eric is blown away by that. And what has transpired out of that is that Eric, the youth pastor, has now been discipling Matthew for six years, meeting weekly. Matthew has got himself a bride, and now Eric is helping Matthew become a godly husband. And this story just continues to unpack the story of what the journey is all about. That when I have peace with God, I live in the sphere of His grace. The journey includes tribulation, but perseverance leads to proven character that leads to hope. And when you see that hope is at the end of the glory of God, hope of the glory of God is the end of this journey, I say, God, yes, you have a bigger plan that you're unpacking for all of us. Eric said, there's not a day that goes by that I don't wish June was still here, but through it all, God has been with me. I am who I am today because of what God has done in me through these circumstances and for that, I'm thankful. I rejoice. That is righteousness in action. 
remember Tim Keller. He's a preacher way back in New York City. Someone asked him one time, why does God not always answer the prayer request that I ask him for? I love Tim's response. Tim says, in fact, he himself asked that about why aren't my prayers being answered. And God came to Tim and said this, Son, I'm going to answer your prayer in the way I know that you would have asked it if you knew everything that I know. God, why don't you answer my prayer? Because I want to give you what you would have asked for had you known everything I know. That is the sovereignty of God. That when I enter into the sphere of God's grace, suddenly He's putting His stamp upon my life that I'm under control. And that whatever happens, your peace with me, sphere of grace with me, and hope is at the end of the journey. I won't disappoint you. Hang on. So that's the journey. How do we get there? And I don't have time to go into it. But we need to first of all recognize our problem. And I invite you to make this decision. I threw on the screen some of the words that the Apostle Paul uses in respect to Christ and how he sees us outside of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, these are some of the words that are there. So you pick it up. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We are helpless. We are helpless. We are ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more, having then been justified, declared righteous by the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult. There's that great word again. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I need to understand how I am viewed by God outside of Jesus, outside of that sphere of grace, outside of the peace with God. God says, Dave, if you didn't have me, you are helpless, you are ungodly, you are a sinner, you are under my wrath, and you are my enemy. We're either enemies or we're not. How do we get from there to here? Have faith in God's solution. He seeks us in love while we remain in sin. He loves us. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we get sinners, He died for us. He didn't wait for me to clean up my life. He didn't wait for me to get things right. He didn't wait for me to finally give that big check to the church. He didn't wait for me to do anything. But He says, in your sin, I come and I extend my hand of love and I get a hold of your heart and I invite you to my sphere of grace. Would you like to be there? And I have to make a decision by faith to choose to be that. I love what Charles Hodge says about this love of God. If God loved us because we loved Him, He would love us only so long as we love Him. That's conditional love. And on that condition, then our salvation would depend on the constancy of our treacherous hearts. But as God loves us as sinners, Christ died for us as ungodly. Our salvation depends, as the apostle argues, not on the loveliness, not on our loveliness, but on the constancy of the love of God. That's what we hang on to. That He loved me even when I'm a sinner. So He'll love me no matter what. Have faith that Christ died for us to remove our sins, to declare us righteous, save us from His wrath. As the Scripture says, Christ died for us much more having been justified by His blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through Him. And then finally, have faith in God's solution. 
God changed. The word reconcile means to change. He doesn't change. I change. I change from being ungodly, helpless, sinner, wrath-filled enemy. I change from all those words into righteousness. If we were, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, changed to be like God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by His life. God changes us. I don't have enough... I wish... Um, I want to show you the bottom of the, of the outline. I'm going to invite you to read it on your own, but I just want to show you. In this laxed section of Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, he does this comparison between Adam and Christ. Paul assumes the truth. There is a literal Adam. There was a real man. He wasn't a figure. He wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't an allegory. He was a real man, as Jesus is a real man. So Jesus being a real man also gives evidence to the creation of a real man back in the Garden of Eden. So there are two columns in this 12 through 21 passage. And time doesn't allow a full explanation here, but let me summarize it as I have on the bottom of the outline. Those who are outside of Christ are still in Adam. And in Adam I remain in sin and death. But in Jesus I receive the free gift of God's grace which abounds. And I've got the verses, I think, on the, on the outline. In Adam my sin rules over my life, but in Christ God declares me righteous, justified. In Adam I live under God's condemnation, but in Christ I gain an abundance of grace and desire God's righteousness. It is that transformation from condemnation to a desire of righteousness. In Adam I find success in keeping God's law, but in Christ I cannot find success in keeping God's law, but in Christ God's grace sets me free from the power of law and my sin. He sets me free from the law. The law judges me as a sinner. It is the teacher to teach me sin. Law can't save me, but Jesus does. So God's grace sets me free from that power. In Adam I have no assurance of heaven because of my sin. But in Christ, God's gift of grace and righteousness assures me of eternal life. And then the last thing I add is this. For you and for everybody you love and care about, in Adam I will remain in this list by doing nothing. But in Christ, I can move to this list by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection as payment for my sin. And it would be a fascinating thing to sit down with someone and say, this is what God sees, and this is what God offers. Do you want to remain in Adam, or would you love to move to the next list to be in Christ? We're going to do something that is symbolic, that helps us process a little bit in a tangible way the reality of being declared righteous. You have in the bulletin a little white piece of paper like this. I encourage you to have it in hand. And what I'm going to invite you to do are two symbolic things. I know that some will be unable to maybe to maneuver, but we'd be glad to help. Or maybe you have a friend that could help you uh, in this because we have these stations up here at the front all the way around, about eight of them I think there are. And I'm going to invite you to take this little white piece of paper and write on it those sins that you know that God is needing to forgive you of. 
Are those things that I have done that are wrong, that I need God's cleansing work to absolve me from? And as I write on mine, I write some things that probably are those areas that are a constant issue that needs Jesus' sphere of grace to be part of my life. And I encourage you to write those things on there. It's for your notation only. And then as we worship together, there's two symbolic ways to celebrate the righteousness of God. One is going to be the communion, the cup, the bread. You come up here and receive it. The cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. Jesus, as we heard from the Seahawks, Jesus is the one that cleanses me from sin. My faith in Him moves free from Adam to Jesus. But another symbolic way to declare this is to write on this these things that I had in Adam, these things that are still holding me back, these things that I know are not part of the righteousness of God, and ask for His forgiveness. And then you bring that up here. I'm going to drop them in these water. And you take this stick and you sort of stir it around, and it's an amazing thing when you do that. It's gone. It's literally gone. The paper is not there. The sin that is on it has been symbolically portrayed as gone. Because that's what God does. When I bring any sin I have to Him, because He loves me in that sin, but He wants to love me out of that sin. So He can do His mighty work of righteousness. So we're going to pray. We're going to worship together. You've got plenty of time. Come up when you're ready. Place it in the water. Stir it. And then take the cup and the bread. And thank God, rejoice, exult in what God has done in Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you're <coughs> the Lord that we can trust in. Father, that in Jesus we can be entering into a peaceful relationship with you. We can enter into the sphere of your grace. We can have the kind of journey that when tribulation comes, I know there's hope at the end. Tribulation is not the end. It's the hope of your glory that we hang on to. And that you have masterminded this whole thing to be a sovereign God, to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, because we are helpless, ungodly. And so, Father, thank you for demonstrating your love for each of us, even while we're sinners, by sending Jesus to die for us. And if any has not put their faith in Jesus yet, I pray that they would choose to be in the list with Christ and remove themselves from the name of Adam. Let them have the freedom of forgiveness in Jesus. And we thank you for this as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.